Good morning, everyone. Um, our passage today is in Mark. It's Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you uh, have your Bibles, grab them. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. Aren't we nice? So raise your hand. Uh, You're going to want them. We are all over the place this morning and really excited to be able to be back speaking again. Uh, If you have a sermon note, excellent. If you don't have one, I'm going to spring it on our uh, Frontlines team. Uh, If you don't have a sermon note, please raise your hand. I don't know if it's that I've had three weeks off from preaching or if it's just that there's a lot to cover today, but there is a lot of fill in the blanks and Alex at the back is going to try to keep up on the slides. Um, but really excited. And I'm sorry if we are a little bit longer today, as I said, I haven't preached in three weeks, so we might be here, um, till lunchtime. Um, and then maybe a bit later, but I'll do my best. Uh, it's so good to gather with you, uh, today. And I'll be honest with you, uh, this week has been a challenging one to prepare for this topic. Believe it or not, pastors aren't perfect. Uh, and I hope you realize that. And the challenge of being a pastor is, uh, planning things to teach on. And you don't just teach on things that you're naturally good at. You teach on the Bible and you teach what the scriptures say. And so today I'm teaching on something that I'll be just honest with you. I'm terrible at. And so this week has been particularly challenging. And I've said even to some of you that this might be my most challenging message of the year because it is so difficult. As I was walking in this morning, someone said to me, Hey Matt, uh, did you take yesterday off? Did you take a Sabbath? And I was like, okay, maybe I'll apply this after this morning. So let's get to work. Let me pray for us because I'm sure each of us are going to have a moment this morning where we need to cry out to the Lord and say, wow, I need you. So the Lord and Jesus often said to he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as I'm praying, pray over yourselves as well and ask the Lord to give you ears to hear this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be a time where we can learn. And not just learn for the sake of having more knowledge in our heads, but God, learn in the way that it goes from our head to our heart to our hands. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit right now would come, that he would enter our lives, and that he would help us move in a way that is not just a semblance in our life of what rest could look like, but is a deep deep rest in the depth of our soul. So we pray for that. God, for many of us, it would be a miracle. So I pray for miracles this morning because you want to give good gifts to your kids. And so we are your children and we're crying out to you for rest. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Uh, We have been doing this series called Vocation, God's Work and Yours, and if you have not heard any of these messages, we've had six of them now, you can go on to iTunes Podcast, search Church of the City, and we are on there, so you can re-listen to our messages. Uh, We're starting a series next week on the book of Esther. We're going to go all the way through the book of Esther over the summer, and really asking the question, uh, what do we do when God seems absent? Because when you read the story of Esther, God appears nowhere, or at least... He seems to appear nowhere, as we will explore over the summer months. But this is what we've kind of looked at about vocation. We've learned that a vocation is is a calling. It's what God actually made you to do. And some of you maybe come in here today and you're like, I'm doing something that that I feel like God made me to do. Others of you are maybe participating in doing things from a nine to five perspective that are things that you actually don't 
like to do um, and aren't really that excited about your jobs. And so we are uh, exploring today uh, what... Good transition. If you are listening to the podcast, um, we just had an interesting mic transition, and if it felt flawless, it felt flawless here too. Um, so as I was saying, there are times in our lives where we feel like what we're doing is not actually what we're called to do. And so part of the challenge of this series has been actually for some of us to say, am I doing what I should be doing? Do I have to maybe reevaluate it, what I'm doing in my life? Do I have to maybe not do this anymore? And so that's a tough place to be. Then we learn that our motivation for work is to be motivated by the gospel, which is that Jesus came and loved and served us, served us so that therefore we love and serve other people through our work. And so if you stock shelves, as Scotty talked about, if you um, are working inventory, like Kyle talked about last week, these guys have, have genuinely said, like, my perspective on work now is completely different because we've been teaching this stuff and realizing that my job is not just solely a job, but it's actually loving God and serving people. Maybe you're in the same place. Well, today's the seventh talk in this series on vocation, and wouldn't you know it, we're talking about Sabbath, one day of seven. And the reason that we need to talk about this is because many of us walk in here today, and many of us have the experience with our work where we realize that we're actually overworked, where we're actually tired constantly, where we're overwhelmed by the things that we do and the amount of things that add up. And many of us live our lives with the feeling of if I only had 26 hours every single day, if I only had 30 hours, if only my week were longer. And I just want to poke a hole in your bubble there that if you had two extra hours, you'd fill it with something else. And then you'd be wishing for more. And so what's happened, and we're going to look at kind of three things here that have happened as it relates to work, is that there is a larger distance between those that make a lot of money and those that don't. And so many people are literally fighting hand to mouth every single day. Some people are working two or three jobs just to keep up with the economy. We then have the reality that if you were to say, I'm just not going to do my job, that there's always somebody behind you ready to do it. Right? And so many of us actually live in a bit of a survival mode of, well, if I don't do my work, if I slack off a little bit, or if I ever even think about what we're going to think about today, that there would just be somebody else behind me that would actually take my job. And so the market is actually even more competitive than we maybe realize. And the third thing is, is that technology has made it possible to literally work anywhere for many of us. Uh, it was said by some sociologists back in the 60s and 70s that uh, if technology continued to advance in the way that it was advancing, that people would actually only have to work a couple days a week because what technology would do. I like this quote from Gordon MacDonald. I think it's helpful for us. It says, the more we want, the more revenue we must produce to get it. And the more revenue we must produce, the longer and harder we have to work. So we build larger homes, we buy more cars, we take on added financial burdens, and then find ourselves having to work harder to pay for it all. More work, less rest. And so this is what has ultimately happened, that even though we maybe could, if we were to simply produce the amount that we were producing in the 60s and 70s, we wouldn't have needed to add on uh, the extra weight of what we need to produce, but we're at a situation in our world where we just want to keep producing and have and have and have. You've maybe heard of uh, professional athletes who are asked by their um, teams if they take a little bit of a pay decrease over the next year so that they can disperse the money amongst more players. And some of these guys literally come back who are making $14 million a year and they say, I actually can't afford to do that. What? Come on. A couple million? No, I can't afford to do it. So we max ourselves out and what we need to realize about our human hearts is that we do it to ourselves. You've maybe also heard people constantly say, I'm busy. You ask somebody how you're doing, I'm busy. And for many people, uh, this is actually now the new normal. What you should really just be saying is, life's pretty good. (laughs) Because everybody says it. I'm busy. And then what the reality is, is that many people actually, when they say that they're busy, it's more than just I'm busy and my schedule's full. It's actually I'm busy, so therefore I matter. Like, can you imagine if someone, if you were to ask someone, hey, how are you doing? I'm not busy. You'd kind of go, well, get your act together. 
What do you mean you're not busy? We're all busy. And then maybe you've been in the situation before where you go on vacation. Feels great. You're on vacation, but you get back and two days in, you're like, wow, I could really use another vacation. Anyone been there before? This is the reality for many of us. And so as we've been talking about work, I don't believe we can do a work series and talk about we are created for work, that we have the pain of work, that the gospel renews our work, if we don't also talk about rest. So that is today. Now, we can either just continue to live as uh, gerbils in a cage on a wheel, going, 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 or we can examine what the scriptures have to say. Because I, I believe the scriptures are really, really serious about this topic. It's not light. So if there's a heaviness that you're going to feel today, good. We're going to go to Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11 to start. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, the, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. Can everyone say Shabbat? And Shabbat means ceasing. Or what we're actually, it's indicating here is ceasing from work. So if we put this in a little bit of context, this makes sense that when it's mentioned that the Lord God uh, took the seventh day to rest, what we're looking at is actually ceasing from work because he's an all-powerful God. An all-powerful God probably doesn't need rest, right? But in the rhythm of the created order, we are told that God ceases from his work. Exodus is also a book that is written, and what we're learning through Exodus is these number of laws that the children of Israel are given by God. So God gives Israel these laws, and one of them just happens to be that one day of the week, I want you to cease from your work. And so what the law's purpose was for the children of Israel was that they would live differently than the nations that lived around them. So that's a little bit of context as we're trying to understand what, is, what does this Exodus thing have to do with me? What does it have to do with my day-to-day life? So let's look at what Sabbath is based on this and then how it begins to apply for you and for me. Well, for number one, Sabbath is the discipline. I'm going to repeat that. Sabbath is the discipline of ceasing from work one day of seven. Now, the Jews would do this from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. They would take 24 hours to cease from their work. And we'll look a little bit more of what specifically that looked at for them. But what you need to just know right now is Sabbath is the discipline of ceasing from work one day of seven Number two, Sabbath-keeping bears the image of God both through working and ceasing from work. Notice the Exodus text tells us that God ceased. And so as we are image bearers of God, it's actually wired into our DNA that we need to cease from our work if we're made like, to be like God. That we're made in his image. Now the challenge here is twofold. Number one, we're told in this that we need to work. Notice Exodus doesn't say, okay, just Sabbath. It says, in six days, you are to labor and to toil. Now, as I've looked at this series that we're doing, what we need to realize is there's kind of two polar different types of people. Okay, you ready? And you're going to then probably put yourself on this scale. There are those on, on maybe this side. This is all figurative. It's not like actually the side of the room. Okay? <laughs> Don't get defensive. This side that would say, I... I, I work all the time. I actually can't stop working. This is me. Ask Andrea. I'll be, I'll be at home. And she'll be like, could you just take a lunch break? And I'll be like, no, because when I take a lunch break, I'm not being productive on my work. And so I actually need to get back there to do more. Or when I have a project that I'm doing at the house, I just, my mind gets stuck on that project. And you can tell me many different things. You can tell me even something serious. And I'm so task-driven that it's like, excuse me, get out of my way. You're getting in the way between me and my task. Okay, that's, that's the, the type of folks over here. 
We have then the type of folks over here that are like, oh yeah, it'll happen when it happens. I hate work. I wish I never had to do it. I'd rather just sit at home on the couch all day. Now this, this passage challenges both types of people. So the one that says, work. In 1 Timothy, some of you maybe have heard this before, but in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, whoever does not provide for his relatives, and especially for family members, has denied the faith, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What does this mean? It means that you and I have the responsibility of working to help provide for our families. Now, what's interesting about these two types of people is that they drive each other nuts. But hopefully this morning, we can learn to meet closer to the middle. So the one command is that through this and bearing the image of God, that we work, we toil with one another, as painful as that is. And then two, that we actually take time to cease from our work, to stop uh, the theologyofwork.org. I don't have this on a slide, Alex, so don't worry. So, but it says this, and it talks about the two dichotomies. If overwork is our main danger, then we need to find a way to honor the fourth commandment without instituting a false new legalism pitting the spiritual or worship on Sunday against the secular work on Monday through Saturday. But on the other side, if avoiding work is our danger, we need to learn how to find joy and meaning in working as a service to God and to our neighbors. So on the one side, we need to learn the dichotomy between working, then stopping from work, and then on the other side, to work because we're to be motivated for loving God and to love and to serve our fellow man. And that's how work is redeemed, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks. Next point we need to make about Sabbath is that Sabbath sets God's people apart. Remember, this is the law. It's given to the children of Israel so that they'll look differently than the people around them. So think about this. It's an incomparable gift to Israel, and no other ancient people had the privilege of resting one day a week. Right? Like, if you had looked at the Canaanites or the surrounding nations, it wasn't like their gods that they're serving is like, I want you to cease from work one day a week. I want you to get into the habit of resting. They'd be like, why, why in the world would we, we do that? So here's the application of the challenging question to you and to me. Does your life look different than your neighbors and coworkers in this way? Does your life look any different? Do your neighbors look at you and your coworkers look at you and say, wow, they really, they really understand ceasing from work and enjoying and being rested? Or do they look at you and go, wow, they're running the race, I'm running the race, we're all caught up in it? Do you look different? Because the Sabbath is and was intended for you and I to look different than the watching world around us. A little more of a point of what Sabbath is. Sabbath is avoiding anything that enslaves you or something that you feel like you need to do. Okay, this is a really helpful point. Okay, and again, let's put it back in context. Israel has been freed from slavery in Egypt in which they were enforced to work seven days of the week. They are suddenly on the other side in freedom. And what does God tell them? I want you to cease from work one day a week. Why? Because it's my gift to you. Because you're no longer a slave. So, some examples. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on how we actually do this. But that could be mowing the lawn, getting groceries, running errands, shopping, and certainly your day job. Sabbath is avoiding anything that enslaves you. Think about that. Next point. Sabbath is giving others an opportunity to cease from work. Notice in the command, it's not just, hey, you. It's also, this is for your child. This is for your servants. These are for people that that's literally serve you. So if you're in the position where you are a boss to other people, do you give them time to rest? Uh, Chick-fil-A, Christian Chicken, the States. Any of you have heard of Chick-fil-A? Restaurant. The owner of Chick-fil-A is a, is a follower of Jesus. And Chick-fil-A has always said, we're not going to be open on Sundays. 
and uh, he's received a lot of flack for this. But if you read the website, it's not only a spiritual thing and reason that he does this, it's also a practical thing because he values that the people that work for him will have an opportunity to spend time with family, to take a break throughout the week, and if they choose to, to spend time with the Lord on that specific day. This is completely counter to the world around. But he said, no, I, I want a Sabbath in my life, so I want to extend the Sabbath blessing to other people. So if you are in the position of hiring other people and having others report to you, do you give them such a gift? Because it will say so much. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of DreamWorks pictures, right? Uh, DreamWorks is uh, operated and owned by SKG, I believe it is. It's Spielberg, something else, and someone else. The K in that, I found this out on Friday, and I'm sorry I don't remember everything people tell me, but the K in that is a very uh, pompous guy, and he ex- works seven days a week, and he expects the people that work for him to work seven days a week. And there's a story that goes along the lines of one of his employees called in and said, uh, my wife is having her baby on Saturday. I can't come in today. Calling on the Saturday. And the, the guy literally said back to him, if you don't come today, don't expect to come back in on Sunday either. Enslaved. Slavery maybe sounds like a heavy duty term, but let me be honest with you, I think this sounds like slavery. So, application do you give the people who work for you the opportunity to cease from their work? Now, why does all this matter? <laughs> right? So we talked a little about what Sabbath is, but why do we need to get into the habit of practicing this? First blank. Sabbath exposes where you place your trust. Let's unpack this a little bit. Because if you were to cease from work one day of seven or anything that you feel enslaved to, it literally requires you to trust in God's provision. But think about the children of Israel. Six days had to be enough to plant crops, gather the harvest, carry water, spin cloth, and draw sustenance from creation. And while Israel rested, the surrounding nations continued on. And Israel had to trust God not to let a day of rest lead to economic and military catastrophe. It's interesting, another principle that God gave to them, and it was God's way of instituting them to love their neighbors. But it says in Leviticus 23 verse 22, God says, and when you reap the harvest, harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So they're literally told, you cannot perfectly glean your field. You must leave some there for other people. What do we do with our leftovers? We spend it on ourselves. I think there's also probably a bit of a habit of I can't perfect what I do and so therefore I just need to trust God that I've done enough. Think about that. So when we struggle to take Sabbath, could it be because you're literally tr- like having a hard time trusting God to provide? That what you've done is enough. So we, do we trust in God's provision today? If we were to do this, Will we be able to compete with the modern economy? Does it have to take seven days of work to hold a job, clean the house, prepare meals, mow the lawn, wash the car, pay the bills, finish schoolwork, and shop for clothes? Or can we trust God to provide for us even if we take a day off during the course of every week? Can we take time to worship God, to pray, and to gather with others for study and encouragement? And if we do, will it make us more or less productive overall? The fourth commandment does not explain how God will make it work out for us. It simply tells us to rest one day of seven. And this is why it's trust. N.T. Wright, in his book, Scripture and the Authority of God, says this. It, meaning Sabbath, appears to be about, among other things, a call to humility and hope. The humility of recognizing that work which for most meant working the land, was not the be-all and end-all of life, a frantic, relentless greed. The keeping of the Sabbath was a stepping back from the idea that Israel or human beings actually owns or runs the world. Overwork, working seven days a week, correlates with a loss of faith in God, the creator and the provider. It's heavy stuff. The next reason of why Sabbath. 
Well, Sabbath exposes what you worship. Take this quote from David Foster Wallace. And David Foster Wallace is not a Christian guy, ended up taking his own life. This is what David Foster Wallace says. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some other inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Next slide. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. This points to the reality that when you struggle to actually keep a Sabbath, it exposes what you actually worship. Where do you tap meaning in life? And for many of us, it's, it's our jobs. It's what we do because it makes me valuable. Or so we believe. Walter Brueggemann says this, Sabbath provides a visible testimony that God is at the center of life, that human production and consumption take place in a world ordered, blessed, and restrained by the God of all creation. When we actually cease from our work one day of seven, we renounce some part of our autonomy, embracing our dependence on God, our creator. If we don't, we live under the illusion that life is completely under human control. Sabbath rest is the regular repudiation of the covetousness for more. Reminder to ourselves that there are other things in life besides producing and consuming. So really what Sabbath is, it's it's anti-idolatry. And Keller defines idolatry or an idol as anything that is more important to you than God. So here's the question. You ready? If you can't stop working, what is the work going on beneath the work? What is the thing you are worshiping and hoping to find meaning in that will never ultimately be found? Ready for the next fill in the blank? Sabbath defines our relationships with other people. Exodus 31 verses 14 to 15 says this, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it, guys, get this. This is intense. And if you aren't ready, get ready. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. And whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Woo! That's harsh. But let's think about this, because the consequences are profound. Do you not think that God is simply pointing out something that would have otherwise happened if he didn't warn them to not to take the Sabbath? Think about how many relationships in our world are broken or have fallen apart because of someone's habit of overworking. Think about how many lives personally are overtaken by anxiety and stress because I need to, I need to produce See, what the text is simply warning against is the inevitable reality that if you let your work consume you, if you give in to its temptation, you will die. And so will everybody else around you because it will never let up. You see, the difference between a runner that says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to run the race because it's on a Sunday or because it's on a day that I take a Sabbath and the runner that runs on it is that the runner who's taken the break understands their freedom. The runner that runs it, even though they run that race, that race will never ultimately be enough because they'll always want to run more. They'll always want to compete in that next race. 
And so what Sabbath does is it defines our relationships with others. A few weeks ago, Andre and I had a quiet Sunday evening at home, and we're like, let's watch a movie. And so we watched this movie called The Intern. And in this movie, Robert De Niro plays this retired guy that is looking for something to do. And so there's this uh, company uh, led by a woman named Anne Hathaway, who is uh, it's an economic, like they sell clothes over the internet. And so Robert De Niro comes into this. It's kind of a cute storyline, but I'll show you what the gospel is crap in it. Anyways, what happens is he ends up working for this company and he actually like starts to examine Anne Hathaway's life. She's a mom who has uh, 220 people reporting to her and the hours that she works are crazy. Anyways, as the story progresses, we find out that the husband of Anne Hathaway is cheating on her with somebody else. And uh, anyways, that progresses a little bit more because adultery is always the storyline of many of mainstream culture, which is just really sad. Anyways, what happens is at the end of the movie, this is what happens. The husband says, I'm sorry, I gave up on our relationship. You should be able to work all that you want to work. And I should just be at home and take care of our daughter. And you should have the best career ever. You can be the greatest mom ever. And you can do whatever you want. And and don't worry, everything will be fine. Come on. You can have the greatest job and work seven days a week. You can also be a great mom and you can also be a great wife. Now, I'm not telling you that the guy was justified in doing what he did. No, he should never have done what he did. But the fact that she didn't have to, in the movie, own her habit of needing to work constantly and give over control of her company to a potential other president shows us that what our culture is saying is you can do whatever you want and it won't have any consequences on the world around you. And when you cease from work one day of seven, you're saying, I'm defining that the relationships in my life are more important than the fact that I need to produce stuff. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. Because the reality is that you can stop working seven day, one, one day of seven. You can cease from work one day of seven, but there's something else that's going on. And so what Sabbath and taking this habitual routine of doing does is that Sabbath points to the need of deep rest. Now, what do I mean by deep rest? Deep rest is finding rest in the work that goes on in the work beneath the work. Okay, you ready for a little bit of an explanation? So you can stop working physically, but can you actually stop working mentally? Can you stop thinking about the next thing that you need to accomplish? Can you stop thinking about the next thing that you need to buy? Can you stop thinking about the people that are depending on you or the things that are going on? Because simply ceasing from work one day of seven will not actually give you deep rest in the sense of the work beneath the work. Because in the work beneath the work, you're actually trying to find your legitimacy. You're trying to say to the world, I matter. I have meaning. I have purpose. You see, the work that I do as a pastor, I can say, you know what, I'm going to take one day of ceasing from work. But what am I doing on that day? What is consuming my mind? I, Andre will tell you, I have sleepless nights where I simply lie there. And I'm, I'm not like sitting working, but I'm working because the work beneath the work is continuing to happen where I'm lying there going, what about that situation? What about that thing? What are we going to do in this, this case? Well, that was a neat thing that happened. But what about this? It's the constant need. Because if I stop doing that, then I'm not producing. And if I don't produce, then I'm not as valuable to the church or to the world. So what is it for you? Because Sabbath is more than just taking 24 hours off. It's finding deep rest in your soul. Now, the reality is, as we've seen here, is that Outside of Jesus, I can't do it. You can't do it. You can't say, well, I'm going to cease from work and expect that the work beneath work will just go away. And what the Sabbath, and this is our next point, ultimately does is, is that it exposes our need for Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Because Sabbath is really simply a means to an end. The end being Jesus. You see, the text that Sonia read earlier for us, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Jesus is saying is, I've given it to you as a gift. So the Sabbath is also an opportunity. It's not an obligation. Do you understand this? It's a gift. It's an opportunity to step in, to lean in, to say, Jesus, I want more than just one day of ceasing. I want to find you in the midst of this. Let's go back to some of the invitations that Jesus provides us in the Gospels. Matthew 11. We have this on the slide. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice it doesn't say, the Sabbath will provide the rest for you. He says, I will give you the rest that you need. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we read that in our, de- in our devotional time. We're like, wow, that seems really neat. So what, what, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm really busy. Cool, you should maybe lay off a little bit. No, he invites you to find rest in the depth of your soul through finding meaning, legitimacy, and purpose in him alone. None of the things that you're accomplishing. Let's look at another one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about our desires in the life, the things that we want, because it'll never add up. Let's look at what he says next. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's literally talking about a physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The next verse tells us that that is the Holy Spirit. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and believe the good news of the gospel, you we read in the scriptures that you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just isn't this, ooh, the Holy Spirit is God inside of you giving you ultimate rest. But you know what we do? We skim the surface and we say, well, you know, I'll get rest when I just lay back on the couch and watch this show. That'll be rest for my soul. I'll veg for a bit. That doesn't make you rested. Because guess what? You want to watch more. And while it can give you a foretaste, it's like alcohol or pornography or other drugs, is that it tempts you and it might give you a little bit of like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better about myself. But then it rips you apart because you need to go back for more. The gospel says that what God has accomplished for you in Christ is enough to give you rest in the depth of your soul. Because on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And he said, it is finished as all of the restlessness that you feel in your soul and in your life. Because he's nailed it to the cross. You see, he just didn't die for the, the sins of, well, these are like the big sins in my life. He died for the restlessness, anxiety, and your lack of ability in being able to actually trust God for everything. And he said, only I can give you rest. And then the last verse here, is there another one? What's that? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is a quote. At the first Sabbath, God rejoiced with the angels at the full perfection of all he had done. If we accept what God has done for us in Christ, we are said to enter with God in his rest. We have been restored to our original state and a part of the utter perfection of God celebrating in the beginning. If you read the creation story, what happens is is that after God creates something, he says it's good. The very last thing that he says as he is resting from his work and ceasing from work is he looks over all that he has made and says, it is very good. It's amazing. There's a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen, I heard him give this talk and he wrote this book called Life of the Beloved. And he asked the question in this talk and he says, uh, how do you answer the question, "Who who am I? He says, most people answer this question based on three things. The first is what other people say about me or what other people don't say about you. The second thing is what I accomplish or what I don't accomplish. And the next thing he says is what I have 
or what you don't. That's how most people answer the question of who am I? And he said, and if you live this way, defining yourself by any of these three things, your life and your emotions will constantly be a roller coaster and a mountainous location. Because we're like, people are saying good things about me now. Oh, shoot, they're not saying good things about me anymore. Oh, I have everything that I thought I wanted. Oh, I don't have anything anymore. And he says, the only thing that can drive that out of you is when you and I realize that as God said over Jesus the Son at his baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, he says the same thing over you. So it's not what you have. It's not what others say about you. It's not what you can accomplish. It's the identity that you've been given by God through Christ. There's a promise in Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3 and 9 to 11. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see, this is for you and I and those of us who have given our lives over to Christ. It says you can enter a rest that the rest of the world will never experience outside of Jesus. Jesus does not say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe that going to yoga and believing in pantheism and your connection with the earth can give you rest, then you're being lied to. Only Jesus provides that rest. If you believe that if I simply obey uh, Allah and if I just give all of myself over to him, then he'll ultimately give me my eternal rest that I've always been looking for. That's false because you're trying to get that way by doing stuff. So when you fail to do stuff, you'll be more under the weight of the stuff you're failing to do. And this is how Christianity, the message of the gospel is good news because it says it's not in what you do. It's what Christ has accomplished and done for you. And it is finished. So the question, let's get a little bit practical. You may be feeling like, whoo, I know I am. So how Sabbath? Now, there are 39 prohibited activities that the Jews were not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. And rather than giving you all of those, and I have them listed here, the connection or correlation between them is ceasing from any activity that creates or that exercises control or dominion over one's environment. That's what it is. It's ceasing from any activity that creates or that exercises control over, or dominion over one's environment. Things that they were allowed to do or encouraged to do was spend time with one's immediate family, temple attendance for prayers, visiting family and friends within walking distance, that's key, hosting guests, singing special songs for Sabbath, reading, studying, and discussing Torah and commentary, the Mishnah and Talmud, which were other religious writings, and learning from Halava and Madras. According to Reformed Judaism, one should avoid one's normal occupation or profession on Shabbat whenever possible and engage only in those types of activities, activities that enhance the joy, rest, and holiness of the day. So how do we do this today? Because remember, as soon as you begin to practice and to discipline yourself in ceasing from one day of seven, what you'll begin to be exposed to are the lies and idols, the things that you're trusting and the things that you're worshiping. And unless you can get to those things, you'll live your life never finding rest in your deep parts of your soul. So a few things to consider. The essence of Sabbath is not choosing one particular day of the week over another. All right, this is really key. It's not about choosing one particular day. So it's not saying Sunday is Sabbath. And if you don't Sabbath on Sunday, you're not a good Christian. Sabbath is ceasing from work for 24 hours any day of the week. Like, to be quite honest with you, this is not rest for me. Like, when I finish speaking, I feel like I've been hit by a truck and I just need to, like, spend more time with the Lord and just, like, sit. So Sunday mornings for me is not Sabbath. 
Mondays have been Sabbath, but I'll be honest, I've been lazy with it. I need to be better at it. I need to practice it more, desire that deep rest and have that pointing out of it. So the key, here's what we're going to do. Choose a day and commit, recognizing it is a discipline. And what this will mean is missing out on some things or committing not to do things on certain days. So it could be for you Friday sundown till Saturday sundown, if you want to be like an early Jew. It could be the waking hours of Sunday. So one, choose a day to cease. Number two, avoid technology. Turn it off. Because when I have my phone on, I'm still getting emails, I'm still getting status notifications, and I have a desire to update that stuff. Cease. At our, uh, at our potluck and prayer night, we have a rule. No phones between 6 and 8 o'clock at our, at our P&P nights. And what I tell people when I tell them is like, you're not that important. <laughs> that you can't not be reached for two hours. So avoid technology. Do things that are life-giving and feel like worship. Now this is going to range from person to person. One, one person in this room might be like, I love worshiping the Lord through cooking. So maybe through the week, you, you buy the things that you need to do, and on your Sabbath day, you just get in the kitchen and you, you go crazy. You're just making muffins or whatever you make in there. <laughs> but do things that are life-giving and feel like worship. Have fun. Not an enslaved type of fun, but genuine fun. Breathe. Spend intentional time with God. Uh, in his book, uh, Garden City, uh, John Mark Comer talks about some do's and also some don'ts. So th- this is the way that they practice their Sabbath. So in their life, some of the do's are sleeping in, relaxing, spending time in the scriptures, praying. They eat their way through the day. They enjoy nature and they spend time with close friends and family. That's what they do on the one day that they cease from work. The don'ts, they don't buy or sell. He says, except food as we love to go out for brunch or ice cream. He says, touch email, post anything on social media because their phones are off, run errands to catch up around the house, talk about stuff that is heavy, sad, or divisive. I think that's a good example. Don't talk about anything that's heavy, sad, or divisive because you can do the other six days of the week. You can talk about that stuff. They don't talk about stuff that they need to get done. He says, we need to rest from the thought of work. He says, we don't read a magazine or visit a website or go to a store that would make me want more because on Sabbath, we simply have enough. So what would it look like for you to take deep rest, to find that deep rest? Because keeping the Sabbath is grounded in understanding God's heart rather than develop, developing increasing details, rules, and exceptions. And this is what ultimately Sabbath does. Final point. Sabbath keeping is a means to an end that points to our need for Christ. Where ultimate rest is found, a signpost looking forward. You see, the good news of the gospel is not just that you can find rest in your souls now, but it points to the day when Christ will return and ultimately all things will be restored. And we'll have ultimate rest and we'll never feel like something that we need to do or that we're enslaved to do. But we can simply rest in the goodness of God. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I know where I'm at. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Because communion is more than just, okay, here's a little bit of bread that sometimes gets caught in my teeth and then here's a little bit of juice. Hmm. Don't really love grape juice, but at communion, I take it. Communion is an invitation. Communion invites you to say, who has been the God in your life? What have you been worshiping? Leave it at the foot of the cross and celebrate the fact that it is finished. It's also an invitation to confess and to repent. To say, God, I have been placing myself at the center of my life. I have not been worshiping you. I have not been glorifying you. I am actually finding my identity in my work, in the things that I can accomplish. 
No one can ever take communion and not be confronted with their nature of being a human being. And so as we spend the next song, and we're going to be singing to the Lord, and we're going to be crying out to him, confess. And say, God, I, I have been attempting at finding my meaning in all these things, and, and I know, I recognize that it's not actually doing anything, but I need to just say, say confess. I need to repent of this. Maybe for some of you it's, God, I'm not working. I don't care to work. I don't want to get a job. And God says, come on, let's do it together. Let's serve this world together. So I want to invite the band. We're going to sing this song. And I'm supposed to actually come up after a song and do this whole thing again, but I'm not going to. And I'm going to simply just invite us for this song just to lean in. And then after this song and during the last two, you can stand and you can go to the end of your aisle, and then you can go backwards, and you go to the tables where there is some bread and there is some juice. You can dip the bread in that juice. You can take it there. You can come back to your seat and take it. I don't care when you take it, but take it understanding what Christ has done and accomplished for you. You see, this, isn't, this, is, this is working from a place of victory. Christ has overcome the grave. He's completed the work that needs to be done. So we're simply participants in what he's up to. Okay, so once again, I'm not coming back up to tell you what to do. You're going to simply go when you just feel like the Spirit's like, you need to go. We're also going to have uh, Alexis and Cam, and they're going to come over to this little section over here to the right, and they're here to pray with you. And they're here for you to come and confess to you, not because we need people to confess to you before God, but simply to be there for you, to pray for you, because you need prayer, and you need Jesus, and you need his Holy Spirit to help you understand today that you're not it. You're not the be-all and end-all of this world. This is an opportunity, not an obligation. So come forward. Have someone pray for you. What an incredible gift. And as they pray for you, may you bask in the goodness of God and what he's accomplished for you on the cross. It is finished. And what God says over you very good.